Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and this is our Q&A show. This is number 666, the number of the beast. While I don't fear that number, I know it has a lot of weighty baggage and I don't discount it and I honor that. I decided to take the opportunity to hit some things, hard things, head on. So recent headlines cited this. The number of deaths from alcohol, drugs, and suicide in 2017 hit the highest level since federal data collection started in 1999. Well, I posted that on Facebook and just asked why. What's your take on why these tragedies continue to increase at about 4% per year, though in, in truth, it was about 6% that year that it increased. Well, the responses were profound and hit on things like disconnection, hope, social media, relationships, health, higher power, opioids, breakdown of the family, isolation, self-image, loss of identity, tolerance, and love. And the question or belief of, is there an enemy? Is it the devil? Is it corporate greed? Is anything at work against you? Well, kind of a negative topic, but getting this out, discussing it, recognizing it, knowing what to do with it is of big value. That's what we did in the show, knowing what you're up against. That's necessary in order to come out on top. Tom Ziegler joined me and we talked through your comments. I have big thanks to all of you who've been leaving such incredible reviews in iTunes for the Ziegler show. And those of you who are checking, yes, this review is helpful to some of the latest ones too. That's really changing the ratings and what people see when they come to the show. Thank you so much. Uh, any of those of you who have done that or, or will continue to, or will do that. Let me know on Facebook. Let me know the username that you used. I'll send you a free copy of Zig and Tom Ziegler's book born to win. All right, friends, here then Tom Ziegler and I tackle show number 666 and your comments to the question, recent headline cited the number of deaths from alcohol, drugs, and suicide in 2017 hit the highest level since federal data collection started in 1999. Why? What's your take on why this tragedy, these tragedies continue to increase? Well, here we go. All right, Tom. I wish that this actually was happening on stage with you in front of thousands of people and somebody just hit it head on and said, Tom, this is, this is episode 666. How do you feel about that? What do you, what do you got for us on the mark of the beast? Uh, it is pretty, you know, pretty specific and it's easy to poke fun at it, but it's, uh, it obviously has serious connotations to a lot of people and you and I as faith-based guys, um, I, I think I, I give gravity to, to such things. Um, I'm sure you do too. You know, I think the number does have significance, especially when you put it into a, uh, a biblical worldview. Uh, at the same time, I believe that the numbers and all the things that go on in our life, whether it impacts us or not, that's kind of up to us. And so to me, it's just another number uh, in the context of, you know, if, if you're if you're buying something and the total comes out to six dollars and sixty six cents or or whatever the case is, it's, it's it's just a number unless you give it some sort of power over yourself. Well, I agree. Now, obviously, though, we took it and put it to put this show and this number of episode to this question on the tragic increase in deaths from alcohol, drugs, uh, suicide, and, you know, talk about a very real thing. And we do look from a faith-based standpoint at the battle that's going on, on the enemy. And I think even for those who aren't faith-based, 
you know, whether they don't believe in a physical enemy or, or a supernatural enemy, I should say that I think most people will, you know, they'll, they'll call the enemy, the government or commerce or, uh, money or whatnot, whatever case it is, we, as a culture, those are real numbers. This is real tragedy. And so, uh, it'll be interesting for us to talk through this and you know what, let me, let me hit it right off here. It's interesting. We had some funny, dis- not funny. Uh, I don't know why I said that with some interesting discussions on the Facebook thread, Michael here, he says, I think I know why it's happening, but if I say what I'm feeling about it, I think it may be misconstrued the wrong way. And of course, Gregory, a guy right below there says, uh, well, Hey, try me. I'm interested. And Michael says, okay. It seems to me over the last three decades, we have gotten soft and lazy as a nation. Now, obviously this isn't pointing the finger at all Americans, but in general, we make excuses for too many things. Why we can't do this, why we continue to do this, or that when we know it's bad for us, you know, uh, yada, yada. I realize everyone's different, but I've had multiple serious injuries, 12 surgeries, 35 years of relentless chronic pain. I'm able to keep my mind and body strong regardless of my setbacks. People don't want to be held accountable for their own actions, but when you live like that, it can take away your drive, heart, and soul if you let it, which in turn leads to very poor decisions, et cetera. I uh, probably didn't do a good job of explaining myself, but maybe you'll get my point. Gregory says, I got your point. And some other people commented as well. That was interesting to me, Tom. And I got to tell you, it was a kind of a hot button because I had just signed my kids up again, uh, twice a year for track and for cross country. We signed them up for a running program. Love the running program. Love the people, uh, that do it. However, the very front of it, uh, has the, the, the name of the organization. And then the tagline is where finishing is winning. Now I get, I get it. I know, I, you know, we all get it. And you know, if you're thinking about a marathon, my gosh, if you've ever done a marathon or a big race like that, and you see somebody who's, you know, been overweight and out of shape and they've tried to turn their life around they're, you know, they're, they're, they're whatever years old and they are making a change. And for them to come across the line, it is inspiring just to finish. Absolutely. We all get that. These are kids in school. And my first feeling is none of them should be so disabled for the most part. Now, obviously someone has a disability, but for the most part, they should all be able to compete. And then of course, what we're hearing, I know you are as much as anyone, Tom, you know, in the corporate world, people complaining, uh, frustrated with the softness as Michael talks about of our workforce and people who are used to that. We're finishing is winning. Of course you sit them down at the desk and you're paying them. Dude, finishing is not winning. Do the job. So, <laughs> Uh, interesting on your take on that. Yeah, you know, uh, there's a very, <clears throat> I don't know if it's a Texas or a Texan saying, uh, but I heard this and it basically says this, and it was talking about men and it said, you know, there's two kinds of men, men who take personal responsibility for the safety and well-being of themselves and their family and men who abdicate that responsibility to Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think what, uh, what, what Michael might be getting at is, Hey, wait a second. I own who I am. I take responsibility for the good, the bad and the ugly. And it's not a reason for me to sit down, even though I've had major injuries and surgeries and all these things, I own myself. And then our culture has this other message, which is, Oh, wait a second. It's not your fault. You know, we're sorry this happened to you. And you know what? In a lot of cases, it's not your fault that something happened to you. But the fine line then says, well, it's not your fault. So you don't have responsibility to take ownership. 
which basically ends up meaning I have no control over my future. It's it, life happens to me instead of me happening to life. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, that's probably a contributing factor uh, to the suicide thing. I, there's a, I think it's a John Maxwell quote and it's one that dad used to, to quote. He said, if there's, if there's hope in the future, there's power in the present. If there's no hope in the future, then I guess there's no power in the present. And so if my future is uncertain, there's nothing I can do about it. It's based on what what happens to me, not what I happen to. And I'm pretty miserable right now. What difference does it make? And and so I think this kind of idea of this personal responsibility of ownership might go a little bit hand in hand with with somebody who's hopeful that they can make a difference and change themselves and their surroundings for the better versus somebody who believes the opposite. There's nothing I can do of any significance that's going to matter. Yeah. Right. And so that's, that's kind of where I'm getting go, you know, go at it. And, you know, are Americans softer and, you know, and we compare ourselves to, you know, the greatest generation or the people who grew up on farms a hundred years ago and all those things. And the, the work has definitely changed. It's not callous building, uh, mind-numbingly repetitive, hard labor at 20 below zero or else you lose everything uh, like it used to be. Uh, but at the same time, there's a whole new realm of challenges that I think, you know, mess with the mind more than anything, you know, and that's, that's just the way it is today. So how do we adapt to that? Yeah, well, man, there's a hundred things on this. It's really hard for me not to just talk uh, for the next hour. This is, this is soapbox stuff right here, but I want to give people the voice. I will say one thing to what you said and what Michael wrote that when we look at America, because you'll hear this thread from some other folks on being, you know, being soft and whatnot. It is daunting, I think, that when we look historically, experientially, that generally affluence doesn't usually breed strength which is really difficult because what do we want to do with our kids? You know, go end up homeless on the street. So they get tough. I mean, that's really hard to balance sometimes, but generally, I mean, look at your stories, whether they're fictional or, or, or real history, affluence doesn't often uh, tend to breed strength. Adversity does. Well, Hey, I'll keep going here. Kelly, she says, Kelly Payton, she says, because it's a standard now with anything from a paper cut to a major surgery to send patients home with seven to 10 to 10 days at least of narcotics. You can become addicted in seven days and pain management doctors write prescriptions like it's going out of style. Right after that, Sophia Hyde, she says the opioid crisis in our area is horrific. This has to be a factor. Tom, you know, I'm in the medical arena, health and wellness. And of course I could talk about that. It, it is, it is frustrating at the pharmaceutical companies and, and doctors who uh, get a lot of, great benefits from those pharmaceutical companies who they are prescribing. It is, uh, it's difficult to look at that. But if I just look back at us not being victims, but us as Americans, as people and back to the aspect of being soft, you know, it is interesting that, yeah, we tend to medicate. If there is any iota of pain, we tend to medicate. You got a little bit of a headache or, you know, to a migraine, we tend to medicate. If you've got a little bit of a, of a discomfort, um, we tend to medicate now, you know, again, thank God it's there for when you have a, you know, significant 
fracture the leg with a bone sticking out. That's a great time for an opioid. Uh, that's what it was made for. And thank goodness for that. But, uh, and you'll appreciate this. My dear, dear buddy, Randy James, uh, Dr. James, who, you know, well, his statement is pain is a clue. Pain is a clue to something that you need to be addressed. That's not natural for you to be in constant pain all the time. It's a clue what you do about it. So if there's a need for a medication for a little bit, cause something's super acute, sure. But otherwise, what are we doing to address that? And we are seeing this epidemic of just medicating and that goes into addiction. But I think for those who get addicted, they are probably more prone to medicating pain in general. That's probably a controversial statement. It's what I experience. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of that that great book, Born to Run, and it talked about a study where the more expensive the running shoe, the more likely to have injury. Yep. Right? And the reason is, is that it, it hides and protects the pain sensors or the sensors in your feet because of the cushioning of the shoe, which then in turn makes it more likely that your knees, your hips, and your back gets out of alignment, which means that you're more likely to have a chronic injury. And I can only see um, pain medication, opioids included, when, you know, maybe we just need to endure it a little bit. It, it, it hides the real symptom of what's yes. going on. Yes. Pain is a symptom, right? It's not the, yeah. it's not the cause of something. It's the symptom of something else. Mm-hmm. I don't know enough about the opioid epidemic to uh, comment on it, all other than personal experience with people I know who got caught up in it. And it's, it's devastating. And I, and I go back to this, you know, if when people commit suicide to me, there is something going on in their brain chemistry, right? It's, it's not just a series of bad events. It's a spiral uh, that happens and the brain chemistry gets mixed up. Um, And of course, in our family, my, my mom's dad committed suicide and, he was of the hardiest of the hardy, right? I mean, he was, he grew up and, and, you know, she was 10 years old when he committed suicide. So that was 80 years ago. So suicide's always been with us. And he was a sufferer of chronic pain. He had a back that would go out and laying flat for weeks at a time. And so I could see how people who just, you know, endure unbelievable pain, they just want relief, literally at the ultimate price. Yeah. Um, but there's got to be something that, that that goes on there that that I don't understand. And so I look at it, you know, in the book, Choose to Win and kind of being the research nerd when it comes to the brain. To me, there are so many things that are contributing to what I call poor brain health. And one of them is just this cascading of negative, 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 negative in our, in our media and fake news and all these different things. And then you put a drug on top of that and then you get, then you've got like the, you know, the ultimate concoction for disaster. Well, man, you said so many things that are, that are relevant there that, uh, yeah, the brain chemistry. I mean, we are hearing more and more, thank goodness on brain plasticity. And if you don't know what that means, it's me, it's, it means it's malleable. Your brain is not set in stone. And then you're though accountable to working it out. I mean, go, you go right back to the habit shows that we do, uh, where we look through the seven spokes on the Ziegler wheel of life with our esteemed guest. And the reason we give focus to those is knowing that's what Zig pulled out 
was the need to have balanced health in all those areas. And what I would pose though, is if we do, or if we are addressing those every single day, back to you, Tom, the habits, the simple habits every day in each of those areas, you know, from your physical health to your financial health, to your spiritual health, to your relational health, uh, your mental health. If you're addressing those every day, we are working out our brains to keep the chemistry well. And that does put the accountability on us. Does that mean that it's everybody's fault who committed suicide? I mean, again, we're not here to create doctrine. We're just looking at why is this happening? It's increasing. There is a reason. And what, you know, again, you guys, well, here, I'll I'll throw out another one. This is a great other point. Thomas McMillian says there are probably multiple things that we can point out, but one of the consequences is the breakdown of the family and the increase of social media and the loss of connectedness resulting in isolation and a lack of hope. Okay. For disclosure, the article that I the headline that I referenced, they did do some talking with, I believe she was a counselor, a therapist, psychologist. I can't remember. And she talked about that. Tom, it it is hard for me to as many things, you know, because I want to look and say, gosh, it's, it's not having purpose in work. Um, I think that's a huge one, but my gosh, still, when we come down to the root cause of it, it is hard for me not to agree that a primary culprit is what Thomas said is the breakdown of relationships. Yeah. The, the social media is, is not the devil. It's like Dave talks about Dave Ramsey, you know, with money, it's like a brick. You can build an orphanage or throw it through a, 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 a window. It's not bad. It's what we do with it. Social media, same thing, man. It is great for some things, but we are as a culture, tending to use it in unhealthy ways. And we are more and more little by little lessening for that. And other reasons that face-to-face connection, those intimate relationships that we are, our, our hearts long for. And when we have that isolation, that disconnectedness, man, it is hard for pretty much anyone to remain hopeful, optimistic, joyful, happy, yada, yada, and not go down in a spiral. I, it's hard for me not to point strongly at that one, Tom. What do you think? You know, I couldn't agree more. Um, when you look at ultimately what people value the most, it is strong relationships. Relationships, you know, it, the Harvard Grant study kind of proved that. The, the, the people who they studied for over 75 years, they asked at the end of their life in their 90s, are you happy and satisfied? And the ones that said, yeah, I'm happy and satisfied with my life. When they 25 years early, they were all focused on the same thing, relationships, building relationships. We are literally created for relationships. And so anything that interrupts a healthy relationship is a major, major cause of the downside or the consequences. Uh, You know, when we look at, porn or any other uh, thing that interrupts what a normal, healthy relationship should look like. It just ends up in isolation and depression. And then, you know, the more you read about the good things that we have with medicine, I mean, you know, you, you get sick bad. What do you do? You go get antibiotics. Antibiotics kills the, the, your gut. I mean, it just takes out the stuff. And that's where a lot of the chemicals are, are in the, the, you know, the, the feel good stuff is produced is in your gut. And so if you're already isolated, you're already, you know, not feeling connected. 
and then you take a, a medication for a good reason, you don't have relationships to go back to, mm-hmm. the, the, the spiral begins. So to me, it's kind of like a cumulative thing. I, I don't know. Uh, the other thing is that, yes. gosh, we've got so many veterans yep. who've just come out of a really traumatic time. I mean, I work with uh, different groups of wounded warriors and you see uh, the men and women with PTSD and then our law enforcement uh, and our first responders, firefighters, the schedules that they're on and sleep deprivation uh, is a huge part of it. Almost every case of PTSD in some form or fashion, sleep deprivation is a contributing factor to it. It just weakens the system. And so how many hits can we take? We're not invincible. Physically, we're not invincible. And so all these things just kind of kind of accumulate uh, to that. But I do know this, people who have rock solid, strong relationships to when they start taking hits, they can go and get support from their community. They're much happier. They have much better outcomes. And it's, it's why a lot of the nonprofits exist. It's, you know, it's why people with therapy animals have such dramatic results when they go into uh, caregiving situations and hospitals and things like that. So we know that relationships is a, is a, is a golden thread that's a part of this. Yeah, gigantic. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Well, you know, on that same topic, I'll, I'll share another one here. Michael, he says, hey, if people are isolated, it's because they choose to be for the most part. There are all kinds of ways to get out and meet people these days or to volunteer and give back to your community. But you have to put in the effort and time instead of being on the computer thinking about doing things. People must actually get out there and do them. You know, I am I'm going to admit that is really where my perspective has come most of my life. But I also have to admit, I came up in a privileged home and in a privileged environment. And that took with me. I I am really aware, uh, as I have so many kids, I'm fathering, but seeing other kids too, that there are more and more kids. And I'm not going to make an excuse so much, but give some reasons. I think kids are being, kids, young people, the millennials even are being handicapped, have been handicapped because they have not been showcased good relationships. And they're unaware. They are literally unaware. Now, does that take away their responsibility at some age of maturity, wherever we want to call that, for them to pursue better health in all areas of their life? No, I think we all have that responsibility. But I absolutely realize that I had great privilege, and a lot of people have, and there are some that did not. And they do not have that awareness. They do not have that understanding. They don't know how to connect with somebody. They don't have the idea of going out and and connecting with people. They grew up in a reactive home, in a reactive school environment, and they have never learned to proactively go out and do that. We have, a, a, I would say, a proactively handicapped, proactive as a term, handicapped, culture, at least that's growing. And so as much as I, man, I totally agree with you, Michael, on one side, but I also have a lot of grace because I realize that there are folks out there who, man, they are so unaware. They're so ignorant. I like the, I like the term ignorant. That's not stupid. That's just lacking knowledge, awareness, understanding. Yeah. You know, years ago, I think I was like 13 or 14 and dad was friends with the um, head of the prison system in Arizona. And we had dinner with him and then he took us to the prison and we're in this maximum secure area. 
with with the with the guy, the warden, right? I mean, he's the guy that can write the letter, that can get anybody out. And so he gets a ton of respect while he's in there because he's the only one the prisoners really have to please, right? Because he's got the power. And so dad asked him a question at dinner, and I'll never forget it. He said, hey, when these people come in here, uh, how do you rehabilitate them? Right? I mean, what a great question. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are the people in his place are, you know, you know, rap sheets a mile long, uh, violent crimes, usually all kinds. And he looked at dad and he said, Oh, it's not about rehabilitation. It's about habilitation, meaning they never knew how to do it right in the first place. Mm. Mm, That's good. And, and I think, I think that comes back to relationships when, when we look at, uh, latchkey kids, dual family income, single parents. Um, It seems to me that in order to survive today, you know, you've got to have cable, you've got to have a cell phone, you've got to have all these expenses in order to survive today that even just 20 years ago was very uncommon. It's like you've you've got, it's almost like mandated in most uh, middle-class families, both folks got to work. Yeah. in order to provide what the minimum standard is. And yet those minimum standards, if they do anything, they actually hurt relationships more than help them. And so we have generations of people growing up having to figure out relationships without the hands-on coach, which is what mom or dad or both of them used to be all the time. Yes. I, w- I was having a conversation yesterday and we were we were commenting that, Uh, somebody didn't have manners and the other person said, yeah. And if you don't have manners by the time you're an adult, it's almost impossible to get them. Isn't that interesting? Yes. Right. And in a social setting, good manners is like the, the, the door that opens up relationships because how many of us want to have relationships with people who are constantly, you know, uncomfortable to be around because, you know, they're abrupt or rude or just don't understand what manners are. It's respect. I mean, manners is a, it's a, it's a primary ingredient of respect. And man, I, I so, so agree with you. I mean, I love what you said, Tom, about rehabilitation and, and habilitation, uh, because we so often, and I'll, I'll cite our own personal development industry here. We talk about helping people, you know, get back to your brilliance, get back to your health, get back to your glory, claim yada, yada back. And yet I realized some people never had it. They never had it to begin with. So how can they get it back? We've got to habilitate. Uh, There's your next book, Tom. Uh, Habilitation. Can we do that? Uh, (laughs) Habilitation Nation. There you go. Um, Okay. You know, I want to hit one here. Uh, Zoe here hits one. And I want to go back to something that we did mention at the beginning of the show. When we look at this issue of why are these tragedies happening. And even when we talk about the, you know, the show six, 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 is there an enemy? Um, that is a relevant topic, obviously from a faith-based standpoint, and I'll own, uh, specifically a Christian, a Christ-based, a, a biblical standpoint. I do believe there's an enemy. And I know you do too, Tom, that there is a war going on for our souls. Now, interestingly, in just a marketplace standpoint, I'm reading a book right now called Manufacturing Consent. It's not a new book. Uh, it's by some controversial guys, and uh, it's, it's not a, I don't know if it's a popular message, 
but it does go into not conspiracy theory. They're saying, no, this isn't conspiracy. It's just math that our culture, our business, our media, there is some significant forces at work just to make a buck. That's where they started. No harm there. It's like the industrial revolution. We can point, uh, you know, bad things that happen from that, but it wasn't done out of ill will. It was done to, Hey, we can do this faster, more efficiently. I mean, who's not doing that in business? I mean, we, we do that. But like anything, it can be dangerous. So is there an enemy? Zoe writes, in my opinion, media, all forms is one of the causes. We see and read about how people cope with their problems, alcohol, drugs, suicide. We see it published as news, entertainment, in movies and shows. And in real life, uh, with the correct instructions, role models, or, or right belief, people may likely... I'm sorry, without the correct instruction, role models, right belief, people uh, may likely turn to alcohol, drugs, suicide, opioids. It's kind of like advertising. The message or brand may be somewhere at the back of your mind. And when you need that particular product, the brand comes to you. When we think there isn't a way out, we may turn to these. There's a lot to be said of whether you think that it's an enemy, that corporate world is out to, to kill us or, or take all of our money, or they're just doing business. We're responsible. Like you said, Tom, we're responsible ultimately for what we do, but man, the access to media, to messages, to those products. I mean, you know, me, I, my soapbox is food. And when you look at, you know, we used to get food, we used to grow our food. Then we had a store where we can go get it. And then it had everything. We can get anything we want anytime, but now it's gone way beyond that. At some point, it didn't always happen like this folks. I mean, our parents, Tom Zig can probably remember this. And my grandparents can probably remember when you used to go to the hardware store, there was no food. You went to get gas. There wasn't food there. It was gas. You got food at the food store. Now we have food everywhere. I mean, what happened to us that we need to have a snack at access, you know, constantly there is access just like the internet. The access is there. Uh, and to a sore point, because I talk about this as a father of sons with my friends who are fathers of sons, we look at the issues of pornography and such things. Back when I was a kid, it was that existed in a magazine that you had to procure somewhere if you were going to get that. So it was a very rare thing. Today, any kid has it at the touch of their screen that they're surrounded by. I mean, the access, I mean, it is. We have some access and is that an enemy again from the corporate world or is that something that the enemy from a faith-based standpoint is using uh i think so <laughs> yeah you know the grand conspiracy um it just reminds me of something i, I read which kind of supports what 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 just said here um in commercials one of the interesting things is that I believe this is an old study, but it used to be that women controlled 82% of the household budget. Hmm. They do the shopping, they go to the grocery store, anything major for the home they're getting, they're buying for the kids. And so it's very natural for advertisers to appeal to women. And part of this rubbed up against a social agenda, uh, which had to do with, you know, women going into the workplace, being more affluent, having more decision-making. And so if, if you just sit home and watch, watch this, look at how many commercials have men and women in it where the man is the dumb guy, mm -hmm. right? It's mm -hmm. like, oh, he keeps making the same mistake and the woman comes up with the answer. You know, is that a conspiracy? Is that a social agenda? Is that a pragmatic strategy? Because they're they're appealing to the person who spends 82% of the money. Whatever the reason is, whether it's accidental or coincidental or on purpose, 
the messaging gets sent that, hey, you know what, when it, when it comes to decisions that are important, don't listen to dad. And then you get a divorce rate that's pretty high and a very high rate of single parent homes where the dad's not even there. Right. And it's just compounded into it. And it just creates a relationship divide. And people say, well, you know, we can't do leave it to beaver anymore because that's that's not real. So my question is, when I was raising Alexandra and she's 24 now and she's doing great and, you know, learning how to make great decisions, not perfect, but boy, am I proud of her. You know, our goal was to paint the the ideal picture. Hey, you know, (laughs) life is hard and things don't go our way, but, you know, here is how we want you to see a relationship walked out because we want you to have this kind of relationship. Do we really want our kids to be in a relationship one day when they grow up where it's a dominated one side or the other type family, or it's a partnership where both of them love and respect each other and doing everything to help each other grow. Mm-hmm. That's what we tried to show at home was that right kind of relationship. Were we perfect all the time? No, but it seems like the sitcoms, the the comedies, the, you know, the shows that get all the main attention, it's always, it's, it's never like two partners, who both have the best interest of everybody in mind on equal footing, you know, dealing with life. It's always one or the other gets painted in a way that's not, that's, that's not positive. That's not what we really want the best for in our, in our family relationships. That's such a, it's such a great point. You know, I'm going to jump over some of the responses based on something you said there and hit one. This is from Bernice. She says, she's summing it up the lack in her own opinion, the lack of simple love in this modern world and the power of love overcomes uh, the love of power. Then there will be true peace in this world. Things were meant to be used and people were meant to be loved. Now the opposite people are being used and things are being loved. She has those in quotes. So I don't know if she copied that from somewhere, but man, that one, you know, when we look at all these different mechanics, ingredients of what's helping, what's, what's causing this, I would have to say putting, putting love at the root of that. Is it, is it, are you prone to succumb to an addiction, much less suicide? If you feel love doesn't mean that you're not loved. It doesn't mean you don't have people in your life that are the best, uh, the the height of love, but you have your own brokenness. We have our own issues. And if we don't feel love boy, but if we do, and this and this is the heart of what your dad started. You know that, yeah. Tom. You grew up in it. Um, you know. You know what? Let, I know you're about to comment. Let me just read one because if, if we're going to say, if I'm going to say that, let me read another one to you. Merrill uh, Garner here. He says, "I think it's a complete loss of identity in oneself and a complete inability to cope with stressors. This is the highest level of comfort a generation has ever experienced, and as such, moments of discomfort are very difficult to overcome. And with no clear sense of identity, these temporary stressors lead to permanent decisions like suicide. I can't comprehend." Uh, how people are able at a younger and younger age take their lives. Now, I wanted to throw that in there, Tom, because we're talking about your dad and coming back to love. That also self-image, self-identity. That it was. It seems like that was his methodology, and I'll let you talk on it. Then it was. It was getting to the root of love. From that, we have our own identity in Christ, in our in and of ourselves. And from that, there is is that not the strongest stronghold we could go for? 
Yeah, hundred percent. You know, dad said this, he said the number one cause of a poor self image is the lack of unconditional love. Mm. Mm. Unconditional love. I love you because you're mine. And when you think about it, uh, the whole faith versus works thing, you know, grace is basically unconditional love. It's, it's, it doesn't matter what you've done. I love you just the same. I, you know, in, in a Christian perspective, uh, I gave my life for you so that you could have eternal life. I loved you unconditionally. There's nothing you could do so bad that my love won't fix it. But we live in a culture of conditional love. And in fact, there's a new love language in our culture that just drives me nuts. And that is that the word tolerance mm. has replaced as a higher virtue in some, in some circles, love. And this is what drives me crazy because love is risky. Because when you love somebody, man, you step in the way, you, 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 you intercede, you, you pull them aside and say, Hey, I love you too much to let you do that. I love you too much to, to let you go there. I love you too much to not challenge you on this. Tolerance is exactly the opposite. Tolerance is like, hey, you know, if it makes you happy, go do it. Right? I mean, tolerance says it's not hurting anybody else. That's fine. Well, the reality is, is when we hurt ourselves, we hurt other people. I mean, we, we can't give something we don't have. I, I you know, and in, in one of the things that I teach is I, I tell people there's three things that you could work on that you should work on in your life every single day. The physical, the mental, and the spiritual. Mm-hmm. The physical, you got to be in good uh, physical condition, right sleep, right nutrition, right movement, right hydration. Why? Because sometimes life happens to us, and we've got to have more capacity, more energy to, to, to cover it up. Mental, man, we got to put it, the right input in, you know, really work on our on our beliefs and what we think and, and what we listen to and read and who we associate with because – man, bad things are coming. And if we don't have a reservoir of the good built up, it's going to be hard. And the third is spiritual because the reality is there are things that happen every day that none of us can explain. I mean, how do, why does an airline crash? Why does a tsunami come? Why do, you know, why does the neighbor who everybody loved, you know, why do they commit suicide? We don't understand it. Right. So we've got to have a spiritual grounding, but here's the big reason. Even if we don't do it for ourselves, if there's somebody in our life that's important to us, wouldn't we want to have the capacity to help them through a tough time? That yes. to me, that's the ultimate. That's love. Yes. We we take care of ourselves physically, mentally, and spiritually, and we protect ourselves and we dedicated to growth, not just so we do better, but when those we love are going through the fire, we can reach in and withstand the flame and maybe shield them a little bit in the process. Yes. If, if, if we're not healthy in all those areas, man, it's tough. And I think yeah. this is what happens. People get isolated. They lose their relationships. They do the spiral down and there's nobody they can turn to who's healthy enough to reach in and say, let me carry your burden for a while. Yes, that is um, There's not much more more profound than we could mention than that. Right there. I do want to make one statement. And Tom, I know, I mean, you talked about that. You mentioned that just a minute ago that you're, 
your mom, uh, her, her father committed suicide. Is that what you said? Yeah. yeah. That, and I, I also have some, um, close relationships where there's been suicide and you mentioned the issue of unconditional love, you know, in essence, X, Y, Z wouldn't happen if there was unconditional love. I do want people to hear if there's anybody out there that's associated closely with somebody who's committed suicide, uh, that you surely are not hearing Tom Ziegler say, Oh, uh, if I, you know, blaming you for not giving unconditional love because we can do that. And that person may not be able to accept it because of their brokenness. And I, I have experienced that closely in, uh, in my life where somebody, they were, they were loved pretty darn well. Um, it was, it was hard to see a fault there and yet they did commit suicide because of their own brokenness. So I, I just wanted to put that out there because, uh, there's, I know that's a, that's a hard, hard topic. Well, Tom, we, again, we could of course talk on this, um, continually, but you mentioned the issue of tolerance. Well, here, let me pull it out. Susie kid here. She says, my theory is that parents are not allowing their children to experience or be responsible for normal life disappointments, whether it's social, financial, or emotional. So when they are faced with challenges, they are able to cope, uh, in, uh, in a healthy way. Now I mentioned that because tolerance, some of that even to me comes back to where I had my little soapbox at the beginning, you know, the, the running race where every, you know, finishing is, is winning. I, I, again, I get that in some concepts, but we have taken that and we are hurting our culture ourselves, not, not just our kids, but ourselves with that. And I think that comes in with tolerance and man, that is one that is, uh, I'm, I'm with you in that Tom, we have gotten to the only thing to stand for is to stand for nothing. And we are not teaching our kids failure and, and right and wrong, uh, because everything is okay. And man, it just does not stand up. And I know that we could get off on a doctrinal and theological discussion on this, but I forgive me for being stark, but this conversation has come up multiple times, even in the past week in my family with some, some close friends with this tolerance aspect that everybody wants to say, Hey, nothing is wrong. There's no absolutes. And yet if there was a threat, if I, this sounds bad, I don't know how to say it different. If I were to threaten or ask permission to rape a loved one of yours or anyone's, would that be okay? Would that be tolerated? And of course the answer is no, no way, no how, no, based on what I mean, this, this is, we're going to run aground and we're seeing this in our culture now where we're having this age of everything's okay, but it's starting to run aground in certain areas. I'll point one out because I'll, I'll, if I can humbly say it, I I foresaw this one in sports. When we have a guy, my size or larger who says he identifies as a woman and wants to go compete against uh, females, half his size, it's not working. It's not working. This is going to come up in the Olympics. We're going to hit some, hit some, some boundaries of where we're going to have to make some black and whites, even though we don't want to, even though it's going to be unfair to certain people, but that, that issue of tolerance, Tom is, um, we're, we're in a dangerous place right now. You know, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's crazy because love, um, you know, love expects the best. You know, when I love somebody, I want the best for somebody. And it's like, well, if you finish, you, you're, you know, winning is finishing. Uh, let me just say this. You know, dad was very, very clear on definitions. And this is what he said. He said, success is the maximum utilization of the abilities that God gave you. 
And so to me, winning is maximizing the abilities that God gave us. It's not comparing, you know, my time to somebody who's been running their whole life, who's Mm -hmm. competed over and over again. It's, hey, I'm doing this. I'm going to be in this program for four months. And this was my starting time. This was my capacity. Mm -hmm. I wonder what I, I wonder if I maximized the time that I've given to producing the best. I wonder what that would be. I think that makes our creator happy when we just approach everything in life that way. And if we're loving someone well, we're pointing out that they're constantly, we're constantly pointing out as a believer, as somebody who believes in eternity, as somebody who, who often ponders this thought, you know, based on how long we're alive on earth and how long eternity is, why do we ever do anything without the eternal lens on it? Right. I mean, you know, because eternity, like dad used to say, he said, you know, your faith is important. I've done the math. They're going to be dead a lot longer than you're going to be alive. Mm. (laughs) That's just kind of like one of those Mm -hmm. things. And so if you don't believe in eternity and you don't believe that what you do ripples through time and eternity and has impact and, you know, impacts generations, if you don't believe that, then it's easy to get trapped. It's easy to isolate. It's easy to turn to all kinds of medications Mm -hmm. to resolve the depression, anxiety, and pain. And all those things are just steps towards this epidemic that that we're facing. But if you believe in eternity, and if you believe that we've been given gifts and talents, and we were, you know, and our, our role here is to maximize what we've been given, maximize the relationship. So there's two things I think that, that, that we could look at. Am I maximizing the gifts and talents that God's given me? And, and number two, am I honoring the relationships with the people that he, uh, that, that God's put in front of me? Yeah. I mean, we get those two things, right. You know, love your neighbor, love the God with all your heart, mind, and soul, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. So that, that to me is what it's about. Now, I'm also very practical, and I've seen it happen to me. I've been around too many people, and I know that there is a point where life happens in too many ways. It could be an injury. It could be an illness. It could be a series of losses or griefs or, or things, and the brain chemistry gets wacky. Man, God's given us doctors, too. All right? Go get some help. Uh, loving somebody well, I tell them that right out of the gate, man, you need to go talk to somebody and figure this out because, you know, why, why trudge through the next two or three years when we could be a hundred percent in it, active, trying to figure it out, doing whatever it takes, changing our diet, getting more exercise, building relationships, you know, testing out different protocols that we know have had success over and over again with other people going through the same thing. Why not do it all? And sometimes you come across people who are really literally so beaten down that they can't do it on their own. They've got to have someone who loves them enough to hold their hand and walk them through the dark Valley. Yeah. Right. And that's why to me, we're committed to the physical, mental and spiritual life of developing that every day. Cause sometimes we're the one God calls to walk somebody else through the Valley. Yes, that's a charge. I'll talk about that. And you talking about eternity. I had that discussion with my two 
middle school age boys, it's so hard for them to grasp onto that. But I, I put it even in terms of, again, talking about Ziggler legacy. I said, guys, does it matter what I do today to how it's going to affect your life and your future and your kids? They got that. They understand that. Even though they, it's hard for them to grasp onto the spiritual attorney, they understand that. Uh, okay. You, okay. We've got, so we're going to, we'll, we'll end. You just talked about brain chemistry again and doctors again. And, uh, well, here I'll, I'll start us off. Let me read a couple, uh, real quick here. Jody Tootin says, I totally agree with lack of connection and too much media influence. There's also a chemical factor. The gut has much to do with your brain. And when it isn't healthy, anxiety and depression are a result. Anything from GMOs, vaccination, food stripped off, uh, stripped out, uh, nutrients stripped out of food, et cetera. The American diet is lacking in what makes your gut work correctly. Uh, Gina Hansen follows that says you hit it on the nose. Uh, Jody junk in our food supplies, affecting our guts, uh, gut microbiome causing hormonal imbalances. Uh, and we are having more causes, cases of depression as a result, stress and anxiety are big problems too. Uh, yada, yada. Well, that is one, you know, my, my, uh, admitted soapbox on that one, or I shouldn't say it a soapbox. I don't know. I don't want to diminish it. It's a big deal health. Cause we see people, well, Hey, it's why, you know, Ziegler wheel of life. It started off not to make this the most important, but he did start off visit with the physical aspect. We can be doing the best things in our relationship, loving. Well, we can have connectedness. We can have hope. We can have, um, mental strength. We can have, uh, wealth, we can have so many things. And yet if we don't have health, it messes it all up. And we are seeing more and more people who are dealing just with what you said and what these folks backed you up in Tom brain chemistry. Our brain is a working machine. And if we are feeding it poorly, not feeding it well, and that's not only diet, but exercise, if we're not taking care of it, the best laid plans can be gone awry. It is a soup up there that's going to help us or hurt us. And we are seeing people being taken out by bad health, uh, whether or not they're taken out literally a handicap and they can't walk or can't move or, or whatever. But we're seeing a lot more with, you know, things like brain fog. I mean, that term, when did you first hear that, Tom? I have no memory of that term before, honestly, like three or four years ago, even. I mean, it's really new. Yeah. And yet now it is, it is a term. It exists. Brain fog. Uh, that is not normal. That is a pain. That's, that's a clue. That is a clue. And yet I also sympathize with the complexity of people who have gone and spent money and time trying to get help with these physical issues that are now wrecking their hope, their energy, their inspiration. Because when you can't get out of bed, uh, when you can't think clearly, when you have no energy, pretty much nothing else matters. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't matter how much love you have in your life. You are in a pit. So yeah, again, in here, let me give you some numbers here. I'm going to speak to your, uh, your, your self-proclaimed nerdness on the numbers here, Tom, we have healthcare spending about three and a half trillion dollars a year in America. It's our biggest gross domestic, uh, product expenditure. It's the thing we spend the most money on. Think of anything that you think America is wasting money on. Healthcare is at the top about $1.5 trillion. That's about 45% of it is chronic illness and disease. Our very own government centers for disease and, and, uh, uh, disease. I can't remember what the other term is, but the center of it's like CEDC or something like that claim that, or cite estimate that 80% of that is preventable. We're, we're hurting ourselves and the ramifications are huge. And when we come back to opioids and even to this, where we started with drugs, alcohol, 
and whatnot. Those are things that people are imbibing and more medicating in essence, because they don't feel well, not only emotional, but, but even just physically. And it all works together. And I, Tom, I'm sure you've seen that a hundred times through your lifetime, uh, with influential people, even where they have brilliance, they have art and yet they are taken out because of one or the other. They may have great health, but they're taken out because of bad relationships. They may have great relationships and love, but they're taken out because of health and whatnot, which again brings us back to why you guys created the Ziggler Wheel of Life. Uh, anyone spoke out can not only, it's not that we just want to be Superman and you know really strong and have balance. We can be totally taken out. Yeah. I wrote in college, I was an economics uh, major for a while, ended up with a minor because it got complicated, Kevin, mm-hmm. but but I wrote a paper and I believe the number was 67%. So back around 1984, 85, 60% of every dollar spent in healthcare was what they called a voluntary dollar. Meaning that our lifestyle choices created this this situation that required the care and alcohol, tobacco were the two leading ones at that time. And now there's so many other things. Obesity is probably past alcohol and tobacco is, Mm -hmm. you know, the, resulting impact of what of what goes on so gosh you know we 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 look at and and what's the end result right when you end up miserable whatever the cause is whether it's a broken relationship bad diet uh not enough sleep you know an injury or something beyond your control when you end up miserable i would say that miserable people are like way more likely to commit suicide than people who are generally happy and optimistic about today and tomorrow. Yeah. And so the, the quote that I always like to, um, it's, this has kind of like been one of my bedrock quotes for, is this, uh, a tree's fruitfulness depends on its rootfulness. rootfulness. Yes. And so here's the thing. What, what fruit do you want in your life? And so you just, Picture a tree and then start putting fruit up. Well, my tree is going to have some dollar signs on it, right? Because I want to be financially secure. It's going to have, you know, a lot of faces and names of people that I love because I want relationships with them. It's it's going to have, uh, you know, good health and activity. I mean, there might be like a motion uh, meme on there, you know, that I'm and, – and so these are all the fruits that I want in my life. So what roots do I have to nourish? Well, we take the wheel of life. There's seven – spokes on that wheel of life. So we make those the seven roots, mental, spiritual, physical, family, financial, personal, and career. Those are the seven roots that we've got to nourish. And how do we nourish those roots with habits? What are the habits in each one of those roots that are going to give us the fruit? Yes. Right. So if you want the fruit of relationships and relationships are in your personal life and your family life in your career, you know, several spokes, what habits do you got to build in your life that nourish those roots that create those fruits? And a habit is real simple. It's just a, it's just a simple choice made over and over again. Well, so Tom, a great, great place for us to land right there because your, your quote that of course is a highlight of your new book, choose to win, which is quickest way to success is replace a bad habit with a good habit. That's where I think we land on. We look at this for ourselves and our culture. What's the best thing that we can do? And it's to go after those habits, uh, to embrace the responsibility, to pursue those healthy habits in ourselves. So we can, just like you said, Tom, so that we can have the strength, the wherewithal to help others. 
And I'm also, again, as, as the dad of so many kids aware of my modeling to them, that it is worth them seeing me in the morning in my Bible, working out, pursuing their mother, uh, pursuing work that matters. It's worth that in their me doing that just for the model that is in their life, because that exposure is what gives them back to your statement there. It's what gives them the roots so that they can have uh, the fruits. It's pretty darn convicting for all of us. Right. And Kevin, when you see a fruit on the tree, what's inside of the fruit? Seeds, baby. Seeds, right? That's legacy. Yeah. Yes. There you go. Seeds of legacy. Maybe that's our title right here. Well, folks, as always, I am always so blown blown away, so humbled by your willingness to share uh, for these Q and A's. It makes the topics so much, the discussion so 50 times richer than if Tom and I were just sitting here uh, having a conversation between each other. So thank you so much, Tom, always a gift to uh, walk hand in hand with you and figuring out how to inspire our true performance. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. All right, folks. I know that was a, a weighty topic, but a relevant one for us to all look at, be aware of, and know, plan what we are going to do to avoid the same outcome and help others as well. Thanks again for all the incredible submissions. Coming up next is show 667, and here's the premise. You and I are overwhelmed. You have too much to do. So I have a question for you. If you could wave a magic wand, would you rather get more done or have less to do? Productivity messages generally focus on getting efficient to get more done, but the greats of our present day and history don't do more. They figure out ways to spend more time doing what only they can do, in essence, doing less. Michael Hyatt joins us in the Ziegler show for the third time. Our first guest to do so, his new book is titled free to focus, achieve more by doing less. So you want the punchline, the primary problem for most of us is we take on too much and don't eliminate, automate, or delegate enough. We spend time doing tasks that relegate us to low paid hourly workers. And why? Well, I asked that and Michael stepped on my own toes a little bit by stating something that is true for me. We often think it takes longer to explain it to someone than just do it ourselves. And we also don't trust that somebody else can do it as well as we can. Both may be true, but if we just accept that, we're plateaued in what we can do. And there we sit forever under maximized. Well, friends, this is a convicting and compelling message from it. You will do one of two things. You'll cut down on the things you don't have to do. Uh, or you, well, I say three things. You'll cut down on them, uh, or you'll automate them, uh, or you'll just flat out eliminate them, right? We have to decide if we're going to let our progress be anchored or not. And Michael just gives us an incredible roadmap for this. Well, folks, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.